show i've been trying to get my guest on for a while he was on a while uh, about a year ago we talked about a lot of stuff and he is one of the most knowledgeable people i've ever had on the show and uh, a really really amazing guy thank you for joining me joaquin flores thanks for having me mel great to be with you (laughs) thank you so much this is exciting because the last time we talked we were talking about the great narrative and you were kind of positing that these people didn't plan so well For their adventures. And now uh, we're almost a year later, which we can't go that long again. And I wanted your take on where exactly you think we are, because Planet Chaos is spinning uh, really out of control. <laughs> it really is. I mean, uh, I guess the short of it is that I think that we are seeing um, s- signs that enough of the American establishment, but not the government per se, but really uh oligarchs or the ruling class whatever you want to call them um that they actually see that the world economic forum agenda is ultimately going to not work out for them either because uh you know it's it, it it doesn't work out um you've had so many guests break that down so beautifully better than i could but yeah it's um but that's what we are seeing it's not just you know that you're seeing these sort of token things like you get like we used to have in the past. Now you're really seeing um, in mainstream media, they're saying things like, hey, um, Trump's coming back. And they're not raising the same level of hysteria that we had, you know, a couple of years ago. And we just had this um, ABC report. Joe Biden is the least popular president in American history since, uh, since Democrat Harry S. Truman. And um, right. Yeah. They're saying he's got a 37 something percent approval rating and um, he's got and head to head with Trump at this time. He's got more negatives than Trump. So more people dislike actively dislike Biden than dislike Trump, which people understand how important that is when you get into elections like your negatives, you know, kind of can turn people just to vote for anyone else. So it's um, it's. These things are turning around, and I just look at elections as like a symbolic thing in a certain way. It's super important that people vote. Don't get me wrong, but it's just one day out of the year. You know what I mean? And like, there's so much conversation around voting, which I think Mel makes sense around the issues that we've had with election integrity and making sure that every real vote counts, you know? Yeah. But when you really analyze the crisis that they're having, um, it is clear now that moving forward, that look, you can, we can focus on elections. Elections are very important, but there's another 360 odd days in the year that people are involved in stuff. It's not just voting, right? right? So whether it's every year, two years, four years that you get out to vote, or if you vote in every little small municipal election, that's great. But the truth of the matter is that it's communications. It's how people interact with each other at the workplace, in the church, and you know, community. That that's actually what is is uh, spurning and inspiring uh, change in the direction that people want to see it go. Um, and uh, and it's when you look at the, the the analytic data, 
that is out there. When you look at how um, the big errors that Facebook made when they banned everybody from their platform, well, they became uh, a much less useful platform for tracking people's opinions. And the elites to stay in power, like kind of have to know what people think. And um, not that they respect that, what people think, but when they are afraid of people, you know, then they sometimes uh, change their their tune. Yeah, that's what um, last time we had a conversation, we talked a lot about that, the, the perception and how these technocrats, they they think like, uh, you know, they analyze all, they take all our data. Most people don't even realize the whole internet is a data wiping, you know, <laughs> right. data an analysis machine. But, you know, how they greatly, I, I think also um, underestimated uh, the intelligence of the average person watching them because um, we had talked about, and and we'll get back to that is is really um, they lost control of the narrative because they really thought that right. they were going to dominate without any real evidence that they would dominate and and they didn't and like you said they overplayed their hand which you predicted now I want to just right. for you to tell my audience a little about your background because I want to get into some stuff that you know um, about because a lot of people have questions about things that you actually have expertise on like. How powerful are the unions in America? Like, why don't we ever mm. talk about that? And and like you're saying, we're not going to vote our way out of the very deep problems that we have in this country. It's got to be the American citizens empowered. And so it's like, where are the power structures that are not being looked at? So if you could just explain real quick a little bit about your background, because it's about you have a very interesting background that most people don't have the kind of insight you do into the American people. You know. <laughs> yes, it's it's you have, you know, a very big division in America between people who live in highly concentrated urban centers and people who live in not highly concentrated urban centers. And so um, that's a very big political divide. And that affects people's political consciousness a lot. But when you think about, um, you know, where unions are at and what unions used to be and what unions became, I mean, it's it's a tragedy, to be honest with you. And unions today are so corrupt and they are so in bed with the Democrat Party and globalism that how could they possibly represent the interests of American workers when they've been part and parcel of the same political party that's been, you know, in front of the line, right? We're talking about under Clinton when you had China enter the 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 uh, the World Trade Organization and gain right. the most favored nation status at that time. Um, as a full member, and the and the insane trade disbalance that occurred in the offshoring of American jobs, right? So yeah. election after election, uh, big labor bosses got behind Democratic candidates with some, you know, maybe occasionally they'll say something like, yeah, working class, yeah, blue collar, something, something, we got to right. bring the jobs home. But then if you look at the congressional voting record, over and over and over, all they did was vote away and open up trade to foreign countries that, look, they can do them. I got nothing against foreign countries. But what right. you're talking about are jobs that Americans relied upon and that we used to have. It used to drive industry, used to drive innovation, used to be the foundation of an export economy. And thanks to misrepresentation at all levels, we've kissed that goodbye. Yeah. 
Because you, um, you know, you, you, you've worked in in that world, that union world, a lot of people right. at a very high level. So people don't understand that. But a lot of people, like I'm in two unions, I had to be in my former life, or I couldn't work on the projects that I wanted to work on. You know, a lot of these teachers, they're watching what's going on. They don't agree with what's happening, but in order to work, they have to be in that union. And we're seeing right. with auto workers, we're seeing with, and these are huge swaths of America. And then as, right. as people don't really also realize you pay your dues and then they decide where that money's going. And you personally might not agree with that at all, but just to work, it's like it turned into right. um, its own kind of mafia of some sort. And it's, oh, a, yeah. how many uh, people in America <laughs> talk about that? It's important because these are huge yeah. chunks of America and the people don't really have a choice. You know, it, it's a lot like elections. You know, a lot of people get turned off to voting. Or they just say, look, you know what? All these American institutions have to be burnt to the ground. Um, people like ourselves that have been saying, hey, we need to make desperately and urgently make these reforms in American society. Then they accuse us of undermining American institutions, right? So it's like not the people that are mismanaging them and turning off millions and millions of people to them. So likewise with unions, you know, Mel, there was a time in the 19th century when there was a slogan if you don't come to work on Sunday, don't bother coming on Monday. People used to work when the new factories opened up during the first and second industrial revolutions. And these first had those big you know, factories where you had thousands of people working in one place. They used to have kids working there, Mel. They used to have four and five and six-year-olds in our country, in the United States. I mean, you talk about the Mellons, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds. They've been owning things in this country for 150 something years plus, you know, and well, we have 180 something years plus. And it's really, really amazing that that we have forgotten that we can't just trust these people. I mean, I think we learned, you know, recently yeah. with the uh, with the lockdowns and can I say uh, the uh, pandemic? I don't know if that's a yeah, you can say word anything here. on here. No, <laughs> Fantastic. I've been, right. I, I, this is a true free speech platform. <laughs> I call it you the know, pandemic, with, too. Yeah. <laughs> with the pandemic, we saw exactly, you know, because because there had been in our political debate, we in American culture, like we hit this really silly conversation or debate where it was like, hey, we, we have to have free markets and we can't have any restrictions on business. But then actually all the businesses that were the big ones were monopolies, where there was AT&T, Microsoft, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, well, how can we break those up? But then, you know, there's a there's a contradiction, right? Like if you give government the power to break up monopolies, well, you've given government a lot of power in general. Right. Right. But if you don't if, but if you don't break up in the monopolies, well, then those monopolies are just going to purchase all the presidents and politicians. So it's like you can't win for losing. And American labor unions used to represent the interests of American workers fairly decently. And then what happened sometime after World War Two or into the 50s? is the, the kind of fusion of the labor bureaucracy and the, the ruling class political establishment. You know, in some ways, it's you can say it's modeled after fascism, right? Yeah. And um, because fascism used to have like labor committees that nominally represented workers, but they actually were just kind of there with the corporations and the government all like on the same team, right? Yeah. And that is so much like what American labor unions have become. Wow. The flip side of that coin, Mel, is that you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you know, I'm an advocate for the members taking control of their unions, right? Because you yeah. don't want to go back to the seven days a week, 90, 100 hours a week, 
five-year-olds working. Like you might think that's the past, but look, um, that the past is only the past because we did something about those conditions. It's not just like time ticked on and those kids grew up. I mean, they did, but they, there's always five, new five-year-olds, right? Bill Gates is on the record saying that he endorses child labor. He's been interviewed in the past number of years saying child labor is a good thing. It teaches kids important skills like, yeah, five-year-olds, how to lose their fingers, you know? So yeah. these are, these are uh, yeah, these are the kinds of things. But in my experience in, in unions, um, coming into it with that mentality that I shared with you, but then seeing that in reality that these unions are being controlled like from the top down and you know these these labor union leaders they might talk a good game but when it comes down to it they're they are looking out for themselves and if they can become a democrat politician right. or if they can become the head of, of human resources at kaiser permanente and sell out the nurses because they met the people in hr when they were a labor organizer like that is how they think and they'll just carpe diem and go for it and they don't give a, a, a rat's ass about any of the people that they represent. And I've seen it firsthand and it just broke my heart and it disgusted me. And when I, I saw what Obama did, you know, and the Obama campaign and the lies and lies and lies, and then the forever wars that continued after they said they were going to take us out of Iraq, take us out of Afghanistan. We know those were neocon lies. Weapons of mass destruction didn't exist. And yet we lost thousands of our boys and girls there. And it's disgusting. So, you know, this is where I'm at. But yeah, I mean, thanks for the for the, you know, the the cue to give some background on, you know, why I'm in this fight. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, so few people know. I mean, this is something that you've, you've dedicated a lot of your life to, which was you actually believed. And as as most people do, I know that in my world, it would be it uh, Actors Guild, Writers Guild, whatever, whatever that I've seen from my perspective of unions, it was to protect you. And there was, and there was all of that. Well, right now that's not what's happening. Even in these, these two strikes of the unions that I'm familiar with, um, you're watching it and you're watching it and you're thinking like, I don't think they think about the people at all at this point. And, and what's scary is that they're giant political blocks now. So when I look at where, and then that goes into um, the uh, SEIU and some other places, these are giant political machines now, and they basically are all globalist at this point. And what, right. what could we do? Because I like the concept and why you actually started in that world was to protect the the workers, uh, for there to be fairness for people, you know, to be able to uh, make a good wage, all the, all the good things. What could we possibly do? What fixes could there be? to take the unions back to the people, because I don't think any of these unions, when you hear even the, the auto workers, the nurses, you, you hear, they all say the same thing. The teachers, like that they're just in the union because they have to be not, not they're in the union because they're in solidarity with their coworkers. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, you can go back to, I mean, there's historical precedents. You can go back to uh, Reagan Democrats, which were mostly labor union workers that voted for Ronald Reagan. Yeah. There's lots of uh, historical precedents of people bucking these trends that are imposed on us. Um, I, I think that take, that the problem is, one of the problems, Mel, is that the people who learn how unions work, it's kind of like, why don't investors give away money, right? It's like, well, because the people that learn how investing works, right. just keep it to themselves, right? And they just, and it's so, it, and they're just in this and they're like, hey, I learned it, you can learn it, you know, um, I'm not going to teach you unless you pay me. 
So it's sort of like that. And the what people who learn how unions work um, either end up like me, right? On sort of on the outside criticizing them, or they kind of climb the bureaucracy, right? right? Yeah. So it's sort of like how to get the knowledge about how they work out there to enough you know, people, because the, the people that are turned off by them. Right. What yeah. they're turned off by is not what the union could be. They're turned off by what the union is. Right. Oh, so yeah. it's like there are laws. You can decertify your union. You can have you can call for new elections within your you can kick out your union uh, bureaucrats. You can right. kick these you know people out of office. And, and the thing that you mentioned about, like, they're kind of more like a mafia. In fact. Uh, a protection racket is identical to a union if that union does not have real elections, yeah. right? Like if you're not actually voting for in a real election for your union leaders, then it's nothing different from an old, you know, back in, the, you know, old Brooklyn, a protection racket. That's right. it. So yeah. it seems like yeah. it seems like that when I'm looking at the one one example is that Randy Weingart and you look into her background and you think, wait a minute, this person wasn't. A teacher, let I mean, she was a substitute teacher for a couple of years. Let alone a you know a stellar. You you would hope that the people that are running the unions are um people that were in that field that know the ins and outs that know the issues that know all of that. But it does seem that the people that are running the unions now are no different than the politicians that George Soros funds. They're they're kind of in there and and they're in there to keep it going. But they're not really in there for the people. But the crazy part is, just like with everything else, people within the unions far outnumber the leadership. And yet, right. I guess maybe it's a um, maybe it's it's just it's an overwhelming like it is for many people in our country right now, looking at it, knowing something's wrong, thinking there's nothing they can do. This learned helplessness. Maybe that's, that's what's right. going on there. But when you look at it and you see, oh, there's like 200,000 people in this union. They all seem pretty unhappy. But yet nothing right. changes. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's exactly that. And I, that's a that's a good insight as well, because when you you know, when you look at the the biggest problems in the country um, outside of the issue of of employment. Right. Yeah. Um, you know. This is a whole gamut of problems. So when people like you're saying to to just in all of the things that life throws at us, oh, now I'm going to have to be a union activist like I already pay my dues I got kids at home this and that like I exactly. like now I have to go to meetings and shit like I go right. to work exactly. you know what I mean exactly. I don't have to go to meetings you know like, I pay my dues so you do your job the right way not that I have to keep fighting you the people that I pay my dues to right so it, it is so frustrating but the thing that is is wild is here is that you see um if they get people to if if people didn't have see people just think that, um, for example, um, if a union were to disappear, then you're going to have, oh, this uh, flowering of businesses and things like that. Right. And that's not what happens either, you know. So it's, it's, it's a very tricky situation. But I would suggest and I think what people should should understand is that, like, if the if the members of the unions are able to take control, if there was a I would call it like a, 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 a MAGA wave uprising. Yeah. Right within the labor unions, right. yes. What yeah, what people have to remember is that is that um, is that uh, Trumpka and and Hoffa, Jimmy Hoffa Jr. and Trumpka both got behind Trump at the beginning, right? And because yeah. they know they know that if you're a truck driver, if you're UPS, if you're right, if you're in shipping, or if you're in auto 
work if you yeah. are building car seats, transmissions, because they have different plants that they outsource different things to now. Not They're not all just made in one place, uh, especially with Chrysler and things like this. So what's amazing is that, you know, these fights that have taken place in our history are fights that set that that fed American families for two generations. It used to be that an American auto worker on one income, yeah. you're talking about a 2,500 square foot house, two car garage, stay at home wife if she so chose, right. kids and send the kids to college, medical care, everything with from your salary, yeah. you know. And and what people don't understand is that um, as we have lost American productivity, as we have sold our country out, and if, as we have shipped our jobs overseas, just so that from the perspective of the shareholders of General Motors or Ford, yeah, those shareholders are happy that their dividends are you know up, but the long term or mid term consequences, wages haven't kept up with with. Uh, GDP since 1976. And ever since we went off the gold standard and went into this, you know, credit driven economy, people have had to use credit cards or even refinance their homes and lose them maybe if they couldn't keep payments. Right. Yeah. Uh, just to just to break even or just to maybe, OK, I have a 10 year old car, time to replace it just to have a life. People yeah. are going have gone into debt. And so people know the figures. Uh, 10 years ago, the average American household was $60,000 in debt. I think it's $100,000, $130,000 in debt today. And that is um, far beyond inflation, right? That is far beyond inflation. That means that we are doing worse today and under Joe Biden, worse than any other time in, in, in living memory, in fact. This yeah. is a, a secret and silent Great Depression that we are in. And to not have leadership in the country that can even say, they can even symbolically represent that so that people can get energy behind it. We have this sleepy old senile guy there that's falling off stages. He's, he's, he's remembering places that he wasn't at. The other day he said, when my father survived the Hamas attack, something, you're like, dude, what are you saying? It's not even coherent. And yeah, 37% approval rating. I want to know who the 37% of the people are because that Me was too. that was a Democrat poll. Mel, I'm I think it's got to be not more than 20% or 15%. I think that's super inflated. Oh, I hope you're enjoying the show. I was just talking on my new Patriot mobile service. I have to tell you, I'm so excited. They are incredible. They are America first. They they align with my values. And you know what? It's unlimited minutes, unlimited text, Wi-Fi calling, unlimited data, high speed, everything that you could use, just like everyone else. We have our time, we have our vote, and we have our money. And the great thing about Patriot Mobile is your service will be exactly the same. Difference with Patriot Mobile is they are an America first company. And what they do is they reinvest their money into causes that matter to me and matter to you and matter to this nation. At Patriot Mobile, those causes are the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, the Constitution, and our children's future. So please go to themelkshow.com. Patriot Mobile is a partner of ours. Please use the code MELK. What I can tell you too is that they are supporting me and they are supporting creators because they believe in the First Amendment. They believe that censorship is wrong and they are gonna put their money where their mouth is. Do what you can for the creators out there that are doing what I'm doing. Please go to Patriot Mobile, Mel K Show. 
All I can say is thank you so much, guys. Supporting my partners supports me, and Patriot Mobile is absolutely awesome. I checked them out. We're switching to Patriot Mobile, and we hope you do too. Thank you so much. And the scariest part is that they lie about everything. They're lying about the financial numbers. They're lying about the unemployment numbers. They're lying about everything. And they know that we know that they're lying, which is the scariest part of what we're dealing with right now is that uh, I fully I don't believe left and right, Republican and Democrat. I believe that entire thing is a totally captured operation. I believe totally. it's a global public private partnership. And, the, you know, these people that uh, <laughs> this, I call them the globalist billionaire oligarchy and and they have have taking all of our country. The scary part is I also believe left of center, probably 30%, right of center, 30%, if they understood what our country, what has happened to our nation would have righteous indignation and it would have nothing to do with politics. It would have to do with American citizens having our power usurped by this this elitist class of people that have no allegiance to America, because you brought up something a moment ago, and I, I want this. So I keep seeing people, even Rick Nell, people in our government that do seem to actually care about America. They say things sometimes like, "These American corporations," and I'm like, "They're not American corporations. They're global corporations, right. Right. And, right. and many of them, I feel like, are already post America." You know, if you go all the way up to Black Rock, Vanguard, State Street, but then go all the way down to even smaller businesses that are like, you know, born in America, maybe they're they're big businesses not in America anymore. And people aren't putting A and B together and realizing that, no, the corporations don't care. I don't think about what is going to happen here as much as they care about the post-America or the globalist movement of the world. You don't have to be an American citizen to buy stock on the New York Stock Exchange, period, right? So, you know, are these American companies? No, they are subordinate at best. At best, they are subordinate to their shareholders. And even there, there's always going to be games, scamming the shareholders, misrepresenting, you know, projected whatever to sell some globalist thing. Usually that's what they do. They try to say that the green thing is going to actually make money for them. But it's only if you can, you know, milk the taxpayers. That's the secret hidden part. But you know what I wanted to say about the, the what was you know the solution that we are that we're finding, and I'm happy that we're finding it. But in the problem, you had like Democrats get behind labor or labor get behind Democrats, and they were selling them like we're going to go after big business, right? right? We're going to actually do that, but they didn't. What they did is the things they were supposed to impose on big business. Well, they put it in the code, sure, but they enforced it on medium-sized businesses. And one of the things that so then they the the natural political block Mel is that you would have the the working class you might have ten or twenty five or thirty percent of them in a union something in that range right. you're gonna I think twenty percent twenty five percent is a healthy number and then because that that's enough latitude and it's a complex story but twenty five percent is a good number for an organized workforce out of the and have seventy five percent not organized. That seems to be a good number, but none of that workforce should be family-owned businesses. None of those unionized places should be medium and small businesses because, and that is what has happened. So when when Democrats promise that they're gonna enforce on big business and these big monopolies, things that might be on paper, good for the environment or on paper, a good regulation or on paper, good for labor, they 
when the actual push comes to shove, they do not enforce those. All the big businesses get some kind of get out of jail free card and all the weight comes crashing down on small and medium businesses. And that was done on purpose as a divide and conquer move, because from a political science perspective, the natural organic political block are entrepreneurs, small businessmen, uh, medium-sized businesses, and organized labor. Because your, your common enemy are the kleptocracy. Your common enemy, and, and just the population of that group of people I described, makes right. up 85% of the population. Right. You know, So that's a mandate. You know what I mean? That's a mandate. So, yeah, and yeah, if that, that group, really uh, yeah, if that group understood what is really going on, if they had real information, real news, you know, we're following people like you and other people out there that are kind of explaining, like, no, you're being, you're walking down a path that is not helpful to you. I think if the people really saw that and saw it wasn't as much political as it was, they took it personally. I feel like the American people should take personally what is happening to this country and realize that the illusion of right left it's all just to divide us but when you're talking about all these people because it's interesting the class that you just talked about it also happens to be the class that was taken out by the pandemic you know so right. it, it's it's also so the, the powers that be that we're talking about these the, the kleptocracy the billionaire oligarchs they fear that group that you're talking about too the most and if that group right. understood it, really understood it the way that you explain it, power that they would have for change, if they stopped playing, if they stopped being in the paradigm, would be, I think, extraordinary and, and would be so helpful to this country. Well, you know, these are the things that I'm focused on um, much of the time and much of my thinking. And yet uh, the state, the U.S. State Department um, last month uh, just released a new report. Um, saying that the projects, you know, my think tank, my newspaper that I used to run um, is behind a pseudo paramilitary group. And yes, this is the Biden administration is is trying to basically infer that I'm a dangerous or borderline terrorist. I'm not, you know, yes, yes. I, well, yes. I'll, not I'll, alone. I'll, I'm, I'm yeah, one I'll, too, but. <laughs> yeah, I would like to send this to you. It's it's from, it's from yeah. the statedepartment.gov. It's a new report. It, 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 it tries to connect my projects to saying that there's some insidious Russian plot to. Oh, I've I mean, seen it's, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, so the Biden administration, this is the third time the Biden administration has come directly after me. You may have known about the letter I got from the uh, Department of Treasury, from the Biden- Tell my audience, this Treasury is important Department. because listen, it's you now. And believe me, I'm, I'm on a list too. And and a yep. lot of people that watch me and people I travel with, uh, we all are, and you know about the new, everyone knows the FBI has put in a new department. First of all, they're all, they're all captured. They are not working for the American people in any way, but uh, the FBI put out a new list of anti-government, anti-authority, uh, uh, you know, um, dangerous individuals. I have so many friends that when they travel, they have those SSSS on the bottom of their tickets and they get like checked over, over. And I'm talking about like women in their forties that are just journalists and don't even know what, and they're, they're on lists. So can you tell my audience what, what is going on with you? Because you know what, they can do that to you now with Russia, but now, which has nothing to do with you, but they can continue down this path. Look at, you know, a lot of stories out there. So just tell my audience a little bit about that. People need to understand yeah. what we're dealing with. Yeah, for sure. So people will know the Russia collusion hoax and the Russia collusion hoax had two parts of it. You know, one part was 
um, a, 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 a Clinton confidant, a Clinton team member um, who had been charged with pedophilia and human trafficking, and then he had been convicted. And then between the conviction and the sentencing stage, um, the Clinton people got him to say that I was working for the Trump campaign. And then I, even though yeah. I was in the Middle East, then I tried to, then I was going to connect them to Russia. And that was what that whole, that the whole like Mueller investigation right. was surrounding that. And then obviously Trump was exonerated at the end of that. So what happens to this guy? Well, then they give him whatever the 10 or 15 years in prison. So he did his right. job. If maybe if Mueller had gotten something on Trump, maybe then he would have not been sentenced on the pedophilia human trafficking charge. So these are facts. Like this is all Googleable or Yandexable or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I want people you know, to know. All- yeah, I want people to know. His name is George Nader, and he was a very right. very shady character in the entire thing. And he's some kind of operative, and also, uh, you know, had connections to the Epstein case as well. Uh, That's right. You know. So that was a big thing. And people might forget that because they've been so, you know, brain, uh, you know, just uh, worn down. But I'm glad you yes. brought that up because people don't talk about that. And, and that that case kind of went into the to the memory hole. Right, right. But that was the star witness in the Mueller investigation against Trump was Nader. And people don't know that he was a Clinton team member that had been charged and convicted with human trafficking, pedophilia. I mean, the worst, bad I mean, the worst of the worst. Like I mean, really bad, bad pedophilia. Is, I mean, like, yeah, buying I mean, a child, a young and, boy. Well, and, yeah. And don't yeah. forget, there's pictures of him with Bill Clinton on vacation, this guy. Right. Yeah. The idea that he's a Trump operative, I mean, it doesn't even make sense. And there was no evidence. And obviously, Trump was exonerated. I don't have to prove it. So right. um, the other part of Russia collusion was that some group of Russians bought $5,000 worth of Facebook ads and placed memes, right? And the I guess the way to approach it is to say that hypothetically the allegation would be that I made those memes. So ever so, but I didn't know. I don't have any. You know, I'm just saying hypothetically that's the story. Yeah. So then, um, so I was under scrutiny for that, and then um, the just and then the. Um, Senate Select Committee on Intelligence came up with like a whole report saying that I had that I had devised and implemented something called a syncretic disinformation network. And yeah, I know I'm like, I'm, yeah, I know I can't even tie my shoes. I'd like, I know I'm I organize, like, well, I, I can't even organize myself out of the house in the morning. But yeah, it's so, so crazy because you're you're a total academic. That's all for people and helping helping workers. I mean, for real. So it's like it, this yeah. seems, it seems like, you know, the Bolshevik Revolution. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a witch hunt. Absolutely yeah. witch hunt. Yeah, persecution. So um, and then um, I got so the letter from the from the Treasury Department said that I could that I should um, make sure to be careful of who I interact with. The We're not going to take any further action now, but just be careful that these people that we've identified as maybe being adjacent to people that we have under sanctions or people that we have on sanctions. I mean the 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 Biden uh, the the Biden uh, administration. What people don't know behind the scenes is that whether you're talking about in the U.S. military, we're talking about in civil society. Biden has been going against all of his, what he perceives, and I don't know if it's Jill Biden or it's the man in his ear because I know it's not Biden, right. but whoever is perceived as an opponent or a, a a thorn in the side 
of the Biden administration, they are going after them personally, right? We are American citizens. We are not foreign anything, right? Born and raised. So this is like, this is a travesty. I mean, it goes back to, you might remember when Obama authorized the murder of an American citizen that was out of the country with yes, a drone. Yeah. No due process, no nothing, man. So this is the, well, oh, maybe the guy was Muslim or his, his son was Muslim or something. I don't know. But people kind of let that go or they yeah. forgot. Not You didn't forget, but people forgot, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But this was kind of the beginning under Obama. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And, and, and um, you know, and I'm going to just go ahead and say that as, as a person that studied, you know, counterinsurgency, intelligence through the lens of security studies and international relations, um, during the Trump years, we had a marked decrease of internal operations against the American public. We're talking about what you might call in the colloquial, they call them false flags sometimes in the colloquial, or they sometimes they might refer to them in this way, strategies of tension, um, whether it's to you know pursue uh, gun control or just to pursue uh, medicating more kids for things, or just to kind of create the perception that the norm in the United States is abnormal, right? Because think about what's the exactly, United States. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> like this is a country that's 60 or 70%, you know, Western, Northern European descended, right? White, okay? It's a country that's approximately similarly Christian, right? Yeah. yeah. And people just want to live their lives. And so they, the fact that they've made, um, you know, that group of people in the narrative, in the media narrative, like the bad guys, yeah. that that shows you that that the government and the media are against the majority of people, you know, yeah. and and they're trying to infer. And I have to, you know, uh, I I pass for white, you know, I, I don't identify as white, but you might. <laughs> but I so I say this as an outsider looking in. My name is fucking Flores, Mexican American. Your background is Mexican, right? <laughs> I know. You know. Um, you know, as, as a as a person from the outside looking in at what they're doing to white people in America, like that wouldn't fly anywhere else in the world. Like it is crazy that the that the you know that the majority ethnos in a civilization or a society is like targeted for being wrong somehow, like just by existing. So these are the types of cultural strategies of tension tropes that further this left-right divide. Because it's a it's a very polarizing thing. And then you're going to have these, you know, I mean, it's a it's a dumb cliche, but some purple haired, you know, university student and saying, oh, yeah, all white people should die. You yep, know why? Oh, because they're because the, they're the worst people in history. They're responsible for imperialism, colonialism, capitalism, patriarchy, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and then you get an A plus for saying that and then you get yeah. to become a professor yourself. So this is like and, you know, I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said, you look at what they're teaching kids today. And then in 20, 30 years, like that's going to be the, the dominant paradigm. I'm paraphrasing, but that's, you know. No, I know. So. I, I feel the same. I mean, you and I are around the same age. And the truth is, when we were in college, um, there was still debate. There was still, uh, you know, uh, uh, we both, you know, had good educations at a time. I don't believe you can get a good education now and, and also be honest and have inquiry and ask questions. You're certainly not going to get good grades. I just saw 80 percent of the grades at Yale are A's. This is not possible in a real world. That's not possible, right? And and it's but not. and then seeing those those university professors and all that's going on. I mean, luckily we're old enough that we it wasn't full 
Marxist, you know, woke uh, right. universities. But uh, shortly after we we left the college world, it it did become that, and it was a long it was a long game. I, I well, before I jump because I have another thing I want to jump to, but. Where are you now? Because they're terrorizing you. But it's not just you. There's literally millions right. of people in this country. I have had on at least 14 people uh, that were caught up in one way or another in January 6th. You know, I'm friends with uh, General Flynn and a lot of people that are being lawfared out of out of control. And the Trumps, obviously, um, I'm going to see a bunch of uh, the Trumps this week. They're all I mean, what they've done with the legal system. But you're just a normal person out there that has nothing in your background or your life or your past for the government to have any anything to do with you. Uh, and I want people to know you're not alone. Uh, there's millions of people that have gotten letters from and it's an all of government uh, campaign. You're getting them from the Treasury. You're getting them from the State Department. You're getting them. This is this is I mean, it's tyranny. It, it is so ugly. What, where are you now in that? Because I want people to understand. First of all, there's a lot of people that watch me that have been are, are going through what you're going through. But where are you now? And what? there's no recourse, right? Because we have a totally corrupt. Well, no, there, yeah, there is some. So there's some recourse and there's some not. Right. So, okay, so let's hear what's I mean, happening. so I live now in Belgrade in former Yugoslavia in a country called Serbia. Many people know beautiful country. Been here for a dozen years. Um, I, I left um, during um, I left around the time the last year or so of the Obama of the Obama uh, reign of terror. And um, and I was um, um, pushing for Ron Paul at the time. And oh, um, if, but, if only uh, if only we had that. We've you know, if all, I know it seems like shape. a dream from like a long, like a like a lifetime long past. Remember the revolution? So yeah, um, I know. you know, <laughs> so we have um and but because what people have to understand is that as as an SEIU chief negotiator for a very powerful local in California, I was in with the campaign. I raised personally over a quarter million dollars for the Obama campaign in 2007 and eight, right? For 2007 for the 2008. Right. So but after the betrayals and seeing what happened, it was like, you know, I mean, I have to say that for me, it was more like I had realized that, you know, the fact that it was my job to be in there had made it easier to delude myself and that I'm a human being. And I'm like, this is just toxic. Like, if I remain in this career, I'm going to convince myself that Democrats are the way to go that's what happens to people in reality i mean i need to be an independent researcher right but how can you do that in the united states right it's like a control grid right and can you imagine the idea that a former communist country like a post-communist country is has more basic freedoms on a daily basis than you have in the u.s right now right that that is really really hard for people to contemplate like like a place that used to be, you know, a communist dictatorship, like literally run by the Communist Party 20, 30, 40 years ago, right? Today, you got, I paid not more than 18% tax and uh, almost no matter how much I make in a year. And um, it's the bureaucracy is, you know, police are friendly. Like, I know that we talked about this maybe before. Like, I understand that many people come from places where the communities are more in control. And the police are like nice and you get good people that want to be cops, at least, you know, yeah. you're like, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, but well, it's know. getting less <laughs> and less. I mean, defund the police worked really well. You know, they they, they made made being a police officer something that, you know, a lot 
lot of people to do that are fan, you know, especially in New York, a lot of families, it yeah. goes generation to generation, just like with, with military, they don't want to work for this, this military. They don't want to work. They don't want to be cops where they could get, go to jail for, for witnessing some, somebody else do something. It's, it's all right. these things that happen, but it's true. And where you are now, it's, it's insane, but uh, you know, you're not alone. And, and that they, that they've gone to such oh, lengths. Recourse. Recourse. Yeah. Go Recourse. ahead. Recourse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. So, the thing is that once these reports come out, see, like then other journalists or other people that want to do hit pieces will will come out with that. I so I, I um, uh, as part of the non-disclosure act, because we settled out of court, I'm not going to name the publication, but it was in the UK. But I prevailed in a defamation case a year okay. ago and, and I'm gearing I'm in the process of another one. I have one of my financial accounts is frozen. And um, as a result of these hit pieces, not as a result of something from the oh, Treasury yeah. Department. So that wow. that's how they do it. It's the Treasury Department comes out against you. Then someone writes a hit piece and then points to that Treasury Department report. And then a private institution like a bank or, or money transfer service says, oh, based upon this, you're cut off. Like, uh, but I have $40,000 and you're like, what do I do? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure. So, I mean, yeah, you know, right? Yeah. So this is so this is uh, the next fight that I'm in. I'm in the fight right now. Um, but I, I'm also thinking about trying to understand the levels of um, of anonymity behind these government reports, like who's writing them. Right. Where is that written? Like, where is the where is my right to then ask them where they get this crazy idea from? Like, how can I get that taken off of the State Department website or, or you see what I'm saying? Like, that shouldn't be on there. Like yeah. that's going to make if I want to start a business or or pick up partners or do something, they're going to say, oh, you're like a wanted or something like you see. Yeah, so it's but meant to list, yeah. But what's scary is what you're saying right now is a lot of people don't realize there's I'm on a, a couple things. There's lists of people that did nothing wrong. They are they are we are being treated as enemies of the state of this state. The FBI put in right. a division about anti authoritarian, anti government in America. And and people have to understand that, like you said, who's running this country? We don't know who's running this country right now. And and there are, uh, you know, people that still identify, I don't know how, as Democrats that will vote for the Democrats no matter what, even though they know Joe Biden isn't running the country. And that that's where the real problems come in is, is again, you know, um, something else that came up that you might uh, find you, you'll understand uh, is... Um, now there's a whole, you were talking before about um, some of these things come up where, with uh, this whole new generation, this Marxist communist group of, you know, that's running our universities. They're all, they, they, they get the kids in the street. They're doing all of that. Uh, just last week, Obama comes out on stage. And I know you're not surprised. Comes out on stage and he starts talking about inclusive capitalism and how capitalism failed and we need a new system. And he's and it's his 15 years of his you know, $350 million foundation there in the middle of Chicago. And he's talking mm. about how capitalism is to blame for slavery and for poverty and for all of that. And he announces that and because I firmly believe I call them I call him O Biden. There you go. I call him O Biden. So so tell people what inclusive capitalism really is. 
Yeah, so inclusive capitalism is written about here in Klaus Schwab's book, Stakeholder Capitalism. It's from the World Economic Forum. So when so when Biden so when Biden or Obama are talking about that stuff, they're just copy pasting from this hand guide to tyranny, right? Right. right. So effectively, um, what it is, what what um, capitalism 2.0, but they call it capitalism 2.0 or something like this. Um, this is, you see this, how it says a global economy that works for, for progress, people and planet that, that slogan progress, people and planet or, or people before profits is the old U S communist party slogan, by the way, it was called, it was from, from, yes. Yeah. And, and, um, and Klaus Schwab's, um, white book, the fourth industrial revolution, it opens up, it opens up, because I know this because I, I studied all the communist right, I know, books I've read very, very intently. I, I was a former radical, people will know. So I recognize, you know, historical materialism and the communist manifesto. And the opening pages of this reiterate the, the Marxist worldview about stages of history, inevitable stages of history. So they believe, like the communists did, that, yeah. that, the, that the world in their mind that they're trying to enslave you in is inevitable. They have that very similar kind of mechanical Marxist view that that the next stage of history is inevitable, right? Yeah. Um, now, now, in fairness, what they don't have anything in common with Marx is that Marx had a vision. I don't think it's justified by the theory, but at least in his vision, this is something that's better for workers and better for people, right? Yeah. It looks good on paper. This doesn't even have that part in it, right? This is openly saying that people will have less, right? So the so this is all in line with the Club of Rome. The Club of Rome has has openly put this is not like from someone else's book or a secret conspiracy oh, or know. something that someone saw on YouTube, right? The Club of Rome is a real organization. They have real spokespeople, real people. They they have they their their leadership has said publicly, and there's real is out there that. If the world population gets down to 2 billion, then we can all live in really austere conditions, but we can sustain it. If we get the world down to 1 billion people or 500 million people, then we can all live pretty well. Right. Um, but there's a secret is that Soylent Green is people. But yes, other than that, you know, you're going to live pretty well. Right. Um, but that means they have to reduce the population by 6, 7 million people. Yeah. And looks I don't like, know look, how looks you like do they're that. trying. Um, but, you know, at the same time, <laughs> this is why, because you came from one side, you came from that side where there's yeah. a lot of these kids that are coming out of college. I would say kids, I'd say 30 and under that like really got right. into Marx and the communist manifesto. Right. And and they they're all walking around. I had like a, in New York when I right before I moved, I had this 26 year old grad student like debating with me about about that, like that we were going towards communism there was it was not going to nothing was going to stop it that they then this generation is 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 much smarter than yours but the, when they talk about all this and inclusive capitalism as well cuz that I know cuz that also comes from cuz when Obama's on stage saying that I'm thinking back to during the, the lockdowns a lot you know as you wrote about they tried to do so many things so fast during the pandemic that you couldn't right. not see it if you were paying attention they had an event at the Vatican it's about inclusive capitalism hosted by Linda Rothschild. And so I, I'm thinking, oh, my God, they had this two years ago during the pandemic. Rothschild and the Vatican hosted an inclusive capitalism like event. 
And here's Obama two weeks ago on stage. I'm pretty sure he's and it's all his people that came back in with Biden. I think they never left. I think they ran a shot, a side government the whole time Trump was in there. They were obviously spying on everything. But then he's saying the inclusive capitalism thing. And here's the one question that I ask people about this. So they talk about Marx and all this stuff and how great it's going to be and all that. And then I say, but it's still the same globalist billionaire oligarchy elite running it. Right. So all these kids and all these democratic socialists of America basically run New York. Um, You know, you said like the communist thing. I have a friend that infiltrated the socialist uh, convention in America. There's thousands of people there. Bill Ayers, uh, you know, and the head of the Library Association. And they ask how many. And this is straight up socialism. It's like it's then it's then it's kind you studied like next level, no property, including children, like all this shit. I'm sorry, all this stuff. And 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 in the beginning, they asked a question. They asked the audience, how many people in here are educators? And she said like 87% of the hands went up. So we're teachers. Yeah. So that this yeah. is so, but their whole thing that they're selling is a lie. Right, <laughs> right, right. They don't the thing is that they don't even they don't even believe it's possible. Like you know, when you have to know these people, like I do, I know like the grown-ups, most of them don't really believe in it. They're they're actually um, there's a there's a more recent neo-communist philosopher named Zizek. Uh, he's the one who had that debate with Jordan Peterson a couple years ago. Um, Remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but and and he surprised Peterson because he said, you know, like today communists we're not all about the revolution and the working class. Like we're actually just saying uh, this present society, this present capitalism, but just you know, more human rights and more social justice. But, you know, so it's really the same thing that Obama just said. So there's actually the the youth, you know, the the, the youth like under 30 or under 25 or under 35 or under 40. Uh, they, you know, the communist youth under 40. Right. They, because um, <laughs> they don't have kids and stuff, you know. And that's they what they know. That's the age group, though. It's scary. Right. And they're and they're fully right. committed. Right, right. But, but it doesn't committed. even make sense. Yeah, well, they, they really believe in it. But then but then the, the sign of maturity within the communist movement is to become a social democrat and to be like, well, there's always going to be Microsoft. There's always going to be Bill Gates. There's always going to be Klaus Schwab. There's always going to be the oligarch. So how can we just make this system more humane without rocking the boat or even dreaming of overturning that power structure? Right. Right. So like so they think they're responsible. But in fact, what happened is that, see, many of these professors, when the Soviet Union collapsed, even if they were critical of Stalinism, they were still moved in, in, a, in a direction more like reality. Like, okay, communism is not going to happen, right? But they didn't let go of their their desire for a, a, a some type of those changes, if that makes sense. So they said, well, certainly... You know, because capitalism is putting profits before the environment, putting profits before everything that that the profit driven system is ultimately going to pollute things and cause such problems for everyone that even the ruling class is going to realize that it's going to cause ecological damage for everybody. Right now, I can see that argument in the abstract. Don't get me wrong. But in practice, what we really know is that that's the foundation of the global warming hoax. So they actually got right, like so they actually got these professors and intellectuals and academics that I want nothing to do with. You know, I'm a renegade, you know, like because they these people live in institutions and they and they and they have groupthink. And then in order to, and I'll just tell you an anecdote. Like I was thinking about pursuing a doctoral track 
And so I needed to get some records together. I'm like, who was the chair of my department at that time, right? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. who is he still around, right? So yeah. I'm trying to look at these professors and all of them are like, their pronouns come first. I mean, it's their name and then pronouns. I'm like, wow, you too. It's crazy. It's, it must have been like, remember in The Sound of Music, like uh, when the family's there and then Rolf shows up in the SS uniform or in yeah. the SA uniform. Yeah, and yeah. like, you even, Rolf, like you're like the kid yeah. next door. You know what I mean? I'm like, man, this professor was so normal, you know, and look how he's been swept up into this group thing, right? So but they don't really believe in it at that level. They're just like, well, we have to capture the radicalism of the youth to, you know, to push social change. But us, the adults, know that we're going to contain it within this kind of uh, capitalism with the human face. Right? Right, right. But the thing is that, like, what's what's amazing is that I think just as a concept, like, yeah, we all want a system. Capitalism is good. That works. Right. So yeah. you can see that they're actually can be convincing to some people, but they're not actually promoting the growth of small businesses. See, that would be healthy capitalism, right? That would be capitalism 2.0 for real, right? To abolish the the, the, the monopolies, right? To, to break up these big monopolies, to have real competition, to have real innovation, to have more inclusiveness. That, see that there's that word inclusiveness. They're taking language from us that, you know, maybe we could even use. So that's why they take those words. They take those words so that we don't have concepts like, well, they are, they're saying they want to fix capitalism. So then I'm polarized to think that capitalism is perfect the way it is. Well, no, no, no. Like you do have to fix capitalism and it's not perfect the way it is, but it's not going to be what they're proposing is a monopoly system, right? Driven by social credit, right? Yeah. So it's like, and it's going to be exactly like they have been doing for the past 50 years, the Democrat scam with labor. They're going to promise, they're going to say, oh, we're going to hold these companies accountable, right? But they're actually going to use that power that we authorize for them to put against companies. They're going to use that to continue to eviscerate the middle class and small and medium-sized businesses. You're spot on, Mel, when you said that so much of the lockdown and the pandemic were kinetic, economic, and social attacks directly on small and medium businesses, right? And that is the foundation. That, along with union labor, is the foundation of what made the American way of life possible, going back to the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, when we really saw that growth of, American, of the American system, right? We talk about people that went from the Great Depression, right? And then you go to what is called the middle class, right? Like that is possible through the dynamism of American industry. If those are exported, you've got nothing but a service economy. Right. And if you have a service economy, then you don't even think that, then you start thinking that work is meaningless. And well, it's happening. It's work, happening. Yeah, you're oh. totally right. Um, Joaquin, I think you're awesome. And I hope you stay away so long. I'd like to have you on a lot more often. I think we have a lot of the issues that you're an expert in uh, rear their heads through 2024. So can you tell my audience where they can find you? And uh, we'll we'll set up to have uh, more regular uh, talks because it's really important. Your your wealth of knowledge is so is not not enough people are understanding what's happening like you do. And I really, really appreciate it. So I, I want my audience to know where to find you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I So I'm in a semi-obscurity, semi-retirement, but no, I, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm fighting these legal battles. I know I'm going to win, but yeah, I'm doing on Telegram only. 
I've been okay. kicked off of Facebook, kicked off of Twitter. Elon did Bye. not reinstate me, just for the record. Um, kicked off of Twitter, kicked off of Facebook, kicked. Okay, um, I can't live stream from my Instagram anymore. So I'm on Telegram only. You know Telegram? Sure. And 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 my channel is is uh, New Resistance. New Resistance. New Resistance on cool. Telegram. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll put yeah. it below, and uh, I'll be in touch in the new year, and we'll do it more regularly. It's, what you have to teach is really, really important, yes. and I really appreciate. We have you. a deal then. Thank you so much. Sir. I appreciate you. You thank too. You. I'll no, see thank you again. You. Thanks. All the best. The narrative is falling apart, but as it does, there's so much of this fraudulent disinformation, misinformation, censorship coming from the globalists. And what we need to do is be focused on the facts, cut through everything, be discerning, and get it first and foremost out there to everyone. It is important that you know what is going on. Censorship is getting nuts. You guys know it. There's accounts all over the place that are fake, that are not me. I know you guys send me emails and I really appreciate it. And you report it and it's on Telegram and Instagram and Twitter and they're not me. So I'm super excited to announce We The People with Mel Kay. Be the first to join. It's a VIP community, just you and me behind a paywall, no trolls, no nothing. We get to know each other. I will give you the facts first. I break a lot of stories a long time before other people. We can talk about past, present, future, history, what we're doing now, solutions for going forward, what 2024 is gonna look like, I'm going to do breaking news, do a lot of deep dives. I'm going to bring that information to you guys first in a live Q&A every week. So please click the link below and join me over there. We are going to create a community, a community that is censorship proof. It's cancel proof. It's truth. It's transparency. It's on the road to God, country, justice, everything that we want in one place. This is the most incredible, amazing time to be alive. As hard as it seems and as difficult as the battle has been for you guys and definitely for me, all I know is that we all are part of the solution. We are all involved and invested and you guys have the passion that I have. So let's join together on live Q and A's once a week with me, Mel Kay, we the people of the United States taking back this nation. This is so exciting guys. I've been dying to do this and we finally got the technology right. So please join me, click the link below. Can't wait to get started. Everyone's been asking me what I've been doing because I am in better shape than I've been uh, probably maybe in my life. And I am now thriving and I have so much energy. I'm going around, I'm doing all these tours and I'm doing the show and I'm showing up at small events and big events. And I'll tell you the one thing that's definitely changed my life is superfoods. Mel Cake superfoods. When I got involved with superfoods in the beginning, I was not eating right. I was not sleeping right. I was not, uh, it was mid COVID. So I wasn't really doing much and I was doing a lot of things wrong. And then I found superfoods and it has changed me from the inside out. Not only have I dropped weight, which wasn't even the goal. I really wanted to detox. I wanted to help my immune system. I wanted to make sure I didn't get sick while a lot of other people were and superfoods came into my life and changed everything. I now think about what I'm eating. I don't have cravings. I don't eat late night. There is a whole protocol. It's so easy. It's laid out for you. You take it out of the box. It's there. All your food's taken care of, all your nutrients, all your energy, all your protein. It is an amazing way to change your life from the inside out. Superfoods changes everything. It gives you a protocol, it gives you a schedule. You know what to do, you know what you're eating, you feel great, you look great, your life's getting better. 
And the one thing I know is you can go to themelkshow.com, go down to Superfoods and you can start your journey because today is the day. I will tell you, I waited and I waited and then I started Superfoods and within three months, my entire life changed uh, for the better, more than I could have imagined. Melkshow.com, go to partners page down to Superfoods and click on the link and you will find a whole new world that will change your mind, change your body, change your life. So when you get superfoods, that helps me and helps this show keep going. I cannot tell you how much it's changed my life for the better, and it will yours too. And enjoy the rest of the show. Mel K Superfoods. Get over there now. There's no time like the present.